You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning, Westwind Church, and I'm just so excited to be able to bring you into the ball back home and be preaching from home this morning. For those of you that are in person, this is probably a little bit unique that you're not seeing me live, but you get to watch me on the screens. And it's kind of like uh, the experience that people who are able to worship from home are having. So we get to join in that experience together. And if you're at home worshiping with us, we get to do this together. I get to preach from my home to your home and just excited to continue to be creative with how we provide worship for everyone. And it doesn't change anything uh, for us. We just get to come before the Lord, do it to worship, and we get to dive into His Word, which I'm excited to do. Before I get to that point, we're going to be in Luke 20 today, but before I get there, I know sometimes when we have background things behind us, we get distracted by those things, and I know one of those things we still have up in our home are Christmas decorations. So don't judge. Um, No reason for judgment here. Yeah, we still have some Christmas decorations up. I did take the tree down, so I should get points for that. But the reality is we have these things, so ignore the rest of the things behind me. And let's just focus on God's Word, because there's a powerful message in Luke 20 that I want to make sure that you guys hear and you grasp and you take it to heart. And so open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 20. We're going to start in verse uh, verse 1, and we're going to move through verse 26 this morning. We're going to go down in three different sections throughout these verses and uh, just take in what it is that God has for us in these verses. The point that I really want to drive home is the authority of Jesus. I really believe that throughout these 26 verses, we see the authority of Jesus jump off the page. And I think that even though the the narrative that Luke is giving us, the story that Luke is telling us, is, is wrestling with the realities of those who, who know Christ, who follow Him, and those who are, are challenging that authority. But I really do believe that the truth of His authority touches us right here at home. It, it walks with us as we walk through our world and through our situations, through our circumstances too. So we just don't want to miss that this morning. So let's flip open to Luke 20. I'm going to start in verse 1 and go from there. Starting in verse 1, Luke 20. One day... As Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priest and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? And he answered them, I will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. There's a few interesting things I'm going to pause there to point out as we jump into these verses. Jesus was teaching um, and, and preaching. He was not only sharing in a conversation about the Word of God, but He was announcing the gospel. He's proclaiming the good news of what is to come. And remember, we're in Jerusalem now. We're really on the, the uh, pathway to His crucifixion and His resurrection. And so there's power in these words uh, that, that are surrounding all the context. And so when the chief priest and the scribes 
approach Jesus, they bring someone new to the conversation that they've never done before uh, in approaching Jesus. They bring the elders of Jerusalem. Now, in this day, what's really happening is when you bring the elders into this kind of situation, when they're making an accusation or questioning uh, Jesus' authority, they're essentially bringing them to court. And so when you draw the elders into something, you're bringing someone to court to settle an issue where either one person was wrong or someone did something wrong uh, against the law. And so it's really interesting to think that the chief scribes and the chief priests are trying to take Jesus to court here. And I love that Jesus kind of takes them to court. And that's just so awesome. Now, what's happening in this uh, Jesus didn't really have a, a normal upbringing in the rabbinical code. And I think the Pharisees and the scribes uh, knew that. And so they're trying to push that a little bit. But more so, they're looking back to what we see happening at the end of chapter 19, when Jesus came into the temple and he saw the people selling things in the temple courts. And that just outraged him because this was the house of God. And it was meant to be holy. It was meant to be a place for people to come to worship, to offer uh, sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. And they had just broken that down to make it a, a place of, of sale of things. They, they may profit off the purpose of coming to worship. And Jesus wasn't pleased with that. And so he overturned tables. He, he threw, uh, uh, threw tables over. He, he threw down what was holding people back from freely coming to worship God. And the chief priests and the scribes, they didn't like that. And so they're taking him to court, essentially saying, hey, what authority do you have to do that? Who gave you this authority? And so Jesus uh, turns it on them a little bit. And he's done this before, but this is a unique thing. He begins to look at them and say, well, let me ask you this question first. And he goes in to say, now, was the baptism of John from heaven or man? And as we see before with Pharisees and scribes and the, the leaders of the religious sect of the day, they take time to pause and have a conversation with one another. And they wrestle through this one because, well, if, if we say that it's not of John, then uh, we're, he's going to pull us out and say, well, why didn't you not believe him? And so if, if you're saying that, then you're recognizing I have authority because in the ministry of John, through the baptism of Jesus, we hear the voice of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And even John points to him and says, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. And so by rejecting the idea that he, uh, that John was a prophet or that the words of John were false, they would essentially be saying that, hey, Jesus uh, doesn't have this authority or uh, isn't authoritative. But they also talked about how um, if we say we don't do that or that he's from man, all the people are going to go a little bit crazy because they look at him as a prophet. They hang on every word that he's saying. They're, they're upholding and listening with, uh, with his authority of the voice that he's been teaching. And we see that in passages of Scripture in the past as well, that, that they were stunned by the authority and the voice that he brought his teaching with. And so they're kind of in this corner and Jesus puts them there. And it's not that Jesus is trying to be tricky to them or trying to be cruel to them. What he's really trying to do is point out his authority to them, but also to his listeners. Jesus' question isn't about um, getting them on their heels, but it's clarifying who he was by bringing John the Baptist in to the prophet, the, the, uh, the voice in the wilderness that brought forward the good news of the Messiah to come. The one man who pointed out and said, this is the man. You must follow him. He is the Messiah. Jesus is clar clarifying his authority. 
He's bringing that out in a powerful way. But the Pharisees struggle with this. They're struggling with the idea of how to answer. And there's this reality that we're seeing unfold in their journey that they can't give the truth authority, the truth of who John was and what he preached, the truth of the, the, the experiences and the teachings of Jesus so far in his ministry. And because they cannot give the truth authority, they can't trust the authority in Jesus. Does that make sense? They can't give truth authority and they can't therefore trust the authority of Jesus. Now this goes and works both ways. If you can't trust the authority of Jesus, you're never going to trust the authority of his word. And there's something that I want to pause and focus on right here. Jesus' authority has been established. You look into Matthew 28, John 10, there's other places that we can draw out the truth of the authority of Christ. And even um, you see the ministry that he's done. You see the movement and, and how people have responded to him, his healings. There's obviously authority in his words, the authority in his power, the authority of who he is. But the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they just couldn't get it. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And the Pharisees and the scribes were missing that. I wonder what about us? Do we give the truth, the authority in our lives? Do we give Jesus the authority in our lives? Because if we don't, if we're not giving the Word of God authority in our lives, we're not giving Jesus the authority in our lives, how do we wrestle with things about how to parent our kids well? How do we wrestle when our marriage gets a little bit hard and we want to go to something to be encouraged, to be directed by? How do we wrestle with uh, ethical things at work or moral things in our world if we don't have the authority of the truth and the power of God, the authority of Jesus in our lives. And do we get pulled into the point where the Pharisees are that we can't even give an answer altogether? And we try to dodge the issue. And we miss the opportunity to see the power of God work in our lives. And it all started right there. So Jesus continues by, by moving into this parable that he's about to tell. He's recognizing that the Pharisees and the scribes and ones that are questioning, and even all those that are around him, all them that are listening, need to understand his authority a little bit deeper. And so he tells this story, starting in verse 9. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out, uh, let it out to the tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast away empty-handed. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Jesus asked. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, 
What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls in that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So let's pause right there again. So Jesus begins to tell this parable. And as he does with all parables, he wants it to be really applicable to his listeners. The idea of a vineyard is very common in the day. The, uh, for Jews, if they're understanding the, the picture of a vineyard, it can take them all the way back to Isaiah, how God is using the imagery and the purpose of the vineyard. Uh, even John and John 15, there's power behind the idea of the vineyard, that I am the vine and you are the branches. So this is something that people are used to hearing. Now, tenant farming is the same thing. Tenant farming is a very common practice in the day where an owner would take his property, he would plant a vineyard, but then he would give the responsibility to cultivate and to harvest that vineyard to people for their livelihood. Now, the responsibility to those people would begin to be able to give back some of the harvest or the first fruits to the owner because it is rightfully his. And so he would send representatives to gather those first fruits and bring them back to him. So we see something that is very common. The story is something that the people will understand. And in this, there's also something that Jesus is beginning to unfold. He's beginning to unfold and foreshadow his sacrifice that is coming just days away. He's beginning to unfold uh, the judgment that will be a result on whether you choose to follow Jesus and submit your life to his authority on the cross and in the resurrection conquering death or not. And so as he, he begins to do this, the scribes and the chief priests are, are hearing this and they're kind of getting pulled into this tantrum. And they even respect uh, to respond in the way that surely not, this cannot be the case. Surely not, the story can't be something that we need to listen to. Now, there's some interesting things that, that Jesus does and that Luke shows. Because if you go back to Matthew and Mark, the same uh, event is recorded. Now, when Matthew and Mark record it, they actually record that Jesus is speaking directly to the chief priests and the scribes. But Luke opens that up and recognizes all the other people that are following him. And so right at the beginning of verse 9, Luke says, And he began to tell the people that are around him. But at the end of the story in verse 16 and 17, he looks directly at the people, and when they said, and when they heard this, they said, surely not, representing the scribes and the Pharisees' response to the story. And Jesus wants to draw out, hey, my father has planted this vineyard, and you've rejected every word, every moment, everyone that has been sent even to the point that you can't even represent John as a prophet. You struggle to say it and uh, confirm that out loud. And yet here I am, and he's foreshadowing that in just a few days from then, they will place him on a cross. They will call out, crucify him, crucify him. The story unfolds right here. And he's beginning to, to tell the truth of what is to come for those that don't believe. And he uses Psalm 118, uh, where the psalmist writes, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he uses this cornerstone as an understanding of who he was. Now, Jesus is referenced in Scripture as the cornerstone, as the rock, and as the stumbling stone. If we flip over to 1 Peter 2, I want to read uh, a couple of verses from there. And Peter writes this, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him, representing and speaking of Jesus, whoever believes in him will not 
be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus basically is is unfolding the reality here that, hey, if you choose to believe in me, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to give my words and who I am and my, my acts as authority, you're good to go. If you choose to reject him or, or to not come with the answer that you know, you're not going to win. And so he's unfolding this idea of this cornerstone. And when we reject the authority of God's word, we get tripped up, we stumble over the stone, and we're broken. And it crushes us because we're separated from the truth and the power of God. And it's an incredible statement that Jesus makes. And he draws out for the Pharisees to hear. He wants his listeners to understand and grasp more of who he is, more of what he's saying, more of what he's teaching, the gospel that he is proclaiming to them. But he wants the Pharisees to understand. You fear. You're missing what this is. You're missing who I am. And because of that, you'll be crushed. Because of that, you will be broken to pieces. And even as Peter writes it, when we believe in that, we won't be put to shame. But he's drawing out the separation of the Pharisees and the scribes from his authority and his truth. And it's, it's a powerful way to think that our judgment that is received on us is based on the acceptance of belief that we have in the authority and the power of Jesus. It's not about what we do or how we pray, or how we are seen by the community, or, or how much we, we put in an offering plate. It's about our belief and our acceptance of the gospel, of the power of Christ and the authority of Christ in and through us. And why are we always surprised when uh, truth comes around and it trips up our lies and our sin and it hurts? Why are we always surprised when we do something wrong and something goes wrong? Why are we always surprised when we feel like we're doing something right and we did that, that one thing we knew we shouldn't have done and we kind of hid it away in the closet and it comes back around to get us? I tell my kids all the time, you can try to uh, pull the sheep's clothing over me or the, the whatever over my head and, and try to hide things from me, but the truth is going to come out. <laughs> It's going to come back around. It's going to trip you up and you're going to get caught. It's going to show what you've done wrong. And that's exactly what is here, what is happening. Jesus is here to show us that we need him, that we're separated from God and our sin has broken us, but that he has come for a greater purpose. Now, we can't take away by our rejection of the truth of the authority of God, God's authority. God's authority just is. God is the power and the truth. He is the creator, the, the alpha and the omega. But what we can do is we can reject that authority. And by rejecting that authority, we turn away from the transformative work of the power of God in our lives. We turn away from the power of the cross for us. The power of the resurrection giving us life and the power of the Spirit to change all that we are. So the Pharisees are struggling with this. 
And so they're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to put him in his place. They're trying to get him out of the way because they are, he is compromising their, uh, their place or their um, power or the position that they believe that they hold. And they're struggling with this. And so in verse 19, he continues, uh, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. They were so upset. They wanted to take Jesus at that very hour, but they perceived that he had told this parable, because they perceived that he had told this parable against them. The first thing they're getting right. But they feared the people. So they watched him and they sent spies. They're not even willing to go themselves. They sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authority and the jurisdiction of the governor. And so these spies said in verse 21, teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he, speaking of Jesus, perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius, the money of the day. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Then render to the Caesar's the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but, and I love this, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. So these spies uh, sneak into the crowd and they're pretending to be followers of Jesus. And they're, they're even trying to pump them up a little bit. Man, you are, you're a good guy. You teach rightly. You show no partiality. You, you teach the way of God. And truly, you do that. So they're trying to set him up, but Jesus is smarter than that. Why is it that we don't give Jesus credit for knowing when we're trying to pull something on him. He's smarter than that. He knows our hearts. He knows what's going on inside of our minds. He knows what we're thinking. And he leans back into him and he gives them an answer. That's just straight up. Well, if it's Caesar, he got his name on it, then give it back to Caesar. But for what is God, give it to God. Turn it over to him. And these, these spies were, were just stunned and they had no idea what to do. They got caught once again in their own words. But I love their response in that, that they were marveling as they, at, at his answer, and they became silent. And it's something about how we wrestle through this idea. And there's a whole other passage and message in here about giving over uh, what is to Caesars and what we may owe and taxes. I'm not going there. I want to focus on and stay in the authority of Jesus. And, and how he brings out that, you know what? You can't try to bring something to me when you mean something else. You can't try to trick me or, or avert what you really need in my life. I'm going to go after what you need. I'm going to bring truth to your world. I'm going to speak truth into your life. I'm going to speak truth into your mind because that's what I want you to have. And so we see through all of these verses... Jesus pointing out the authority of who he is, the power of God that is in him. And so as we move forward into this story, 
we move forward into understanding what he's going to do on the cross and in his resurrection. We move forward into what he's going to even teach over these next chapters, foretelling the future judgment and the wrath that is to come without knowing who he is and trusting in his authority. He's setting that up. He's preparing the hearts and the minds, the ears of the people, the ears of the Pharisees and scribes to understand as best as they can what is to come. But they're struggling for one clear reason. They can't give over their lives to the authority and power of God. And they can't give over their lives to the authority and power of His truth. And they can't give over their lives the authority and power of the Son of God, Jesus. The heir that was sent back to, to collect his first fruits. It's just so easy when we see something. It's like, no, I want this as my own. And so I'm going to reject the one who gave it to me. There's power in that truth, church. There's power in the reality that that too often times God wants to give us this amazing thing. He wants to give us responsibility and stewardship of what is His. He blesses us with that. But we seem to reject it. We seem to push it away because we want something more of ourselves. And we miss the opportunity to see God's transformative work in our lives. And I just don't want us to miss that this morning. I, just want, I don't want us to be uh, taking Jesus to court. I don't want us to struggle when we know the truth, to say the truth, and to believe the truth. I don't want us to get to a place to where we, uh, we just can't humbly come before God and say, you are God. And I'm struggling in my world. I'm struggling with my own sin. And it, I'm... I'm scared of what your word says because that means I might have to do something about it. That means I might have to give up my what I'm trying to claim as my own authority and give it over to you. That means I'm going to have to submit. And we don't like the word submit, do we? We don't like the idea of giving up something that we want to control for ourselves. So church, I want us to do something as we wrap up um, this passage and this truth that we see come out. I want you to close your eyes for a second. No matter where you are, I want you to imagine with your eyes closed being in the, in the, the space that Jesus is teaching within the crowd to hear the rustle of the people around you, to hear the questions that these spies and the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders have asked, to hear the words and the voice of Jesus. So imagine that happening. And think of this, for me, I want to marvel at the authority and the truth of Jesus. I want to marvel at it. I want to be brought to silence because of his authority and his truth and his power and his love for me. How about you? I don't want to fear truth that I can't say it out loud. How about you? I don't want to fear the change that truth can bring to my heart and to my life. How about you? I don't want to fear judgment when truth can set me free. How about you?
There's some powerful things that Jesus is unfolding for us, his listeners. That we can respond to who he is, accept the work on the cross, and the power of the resurrection in our lives, and see change happen for us. C.S. Lewis writes this, We all serve God inevitably, but it makes a great difference whether we serve like Judas or you serve like John. I hope to serve like John. I want to take us back to 1 Peter 2.6 and just close with this thought as we return to worship in response to Jesus being the chief cornerstone, to Jesus being the rock that we stand on, the one that guides our uh, holy structure, our us being the temple of God. He gives us everything that we need to stand firm and to know assuredly that He is for us. And in 1 Peter 2.6, Peter reminds us of the passage spoken, the prophecy given of who Jesus is. Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame.